ShareCare is the leading online health and wellness engagement platform, providing millions of consumers with a personal, results-oriented experience by connecting them to the most qualified health resources and programs they need to improve their health. It's time now for ShareCare Radio on RadioMD.com. Here's your host, Dr. Daria. This is Dr. Daria, and thank you for joining us. With the tragedies in Paris this past weekend, terrorism is at the top of all of our minds. So to help us talk about what this means for public safety, I have Dr. David Satcher. He's the 16th Surgeon General of the United States, former director of the CDC, and the 10th Assistant Secretary for Health for the Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Satcher, you were Surgeon General during the 9-11 attacks as well as the anthrax scares of 2001. What were the lessons you took away from that? And given your standing as a world health leader, what do you think we should be doing now? Well, I remember 9-11 as if it were yesterday. Uh, I was actually on the way to the airport that morning to, to, I think, speak at Princeton that afternoon. And we got the call that I should turn around and go back to my post, which was on NIH's campus. And NIH was viewed as a major target. Mm -hmm. So I went back home. And, uh, and from there, of course, we started to coordinate things. The Public Health Service plays a major role when there's a disaster. Absolutely. We had to send several people to New York. We set up a clinic uh, there on Hudson Bay, and so it was really an interesting experience. But we're responsible for psychological counseling as well as treating those who are injured. You're we only lost one person, and, and that was a big loss, but we had one member of the Commission Corps who died he was in the flight, he was headed to Los Angeles and ended up at the Pentagon. His name was Paul Ambrose. Paul Ambrose. Yes. What lessons did you take away from that? Well, there are a few things. You know, obviously the importance of communication and coordinating efforts with people across the public health service, but also beyond the public health service. Um, if you don't already have those relationships, then it becomes very difficult when you're facing a crisis. So I think one lesson is the importance of partnership, the importance of collaboration, mm -hmm. so that when you face a crisis, you already have the relationship. Mm -hmm. You just have to build on it. Okay, and that's a great point. Something we all learned was the importance of coordination to prevent, and then once it has already started, once you've had something. Now, in light of that, what should we be doing? What have we done as a country to change and be more prepared, and what still needs to be done? Well. I think um, certainly in the public health service, a lot has been done in terms of preparing people to respond. Uh, before that, I don't think we put as much emphasis on preparedness in terms of physical conditioning. Now we require everybody in the public health service to be in you know, tip-top physical condition and they have to train and be prepared to move. So I think being prepared uh, being prepared to communicate and to communicate effectively uh, in order to inform people without necessarily uh, interfering with their ability to think through things. Okay. Yeah, and getting the message out, you know, to communicate resources and where people exactly. are needed. Now, focusing on domestic in the U.S., what are some of the biggest threats to our public safety that you think we still have? Well, you know, obviously we live in a very interesting time and uh, I, I did the first Surgeon General's report on mental health. And we have a lot of people who need access to mental health services who are not getting them. And I think we ought to remove all of the barriers to access to mental health services. But also think that we need to make sure again that we have 
in place the right communication network to be able to respond. Uh, now, it's a little beyond me to talk about all of those things that President Obama was talking about today in terms of how we deal with ISIS and how, why he feels that we're prepared you know, to deal. It's a very complicated situation. I do agree that if you're dealing with somebody who does not mind, mind dying or being killed, it creates a very difficult uh, situation. But now you have to remind people that in this country, uh, we have far more suicides every year than we have homicides. Uh, and a lot of them are young people. And so I think a lot of these young people are people who are now going to join ISIS. Number one, they, you know, they're already dealing with their attitudes toward life. And so we, we do need to put much more emphasis much more education on mental health and behavioral health. You just made a great connection there with mental health and why it's not just an individual with a mental health problem concern. It is really a public safety initiative. And this is something that you know, you've been writing on for years on suicides and mental health. Why is, does it remain such a problem in our country and it seems to be getting worse? Well, um, I think Suicide is certainly a major problem, and so is homicide. And I think they're related, but I won't try to go into that today. I think, um, again, I think we have a situation where we estimate that less than 50% of the people who need mental health services are getting it in this country. Um, but also it's something that for years we have not talked about. There's been a stigma surrounding mental illness behavioral health that has really prevented us as a society from talking about it. And I think beginning with the family and the schools, uh, mental health ought to be a major topic that everybody's talking about. So when people need help, they feel comfortable seeking that and they know how to get it. Mm -hmm. uh, but we pointed out in the report that one of the major issues we're facing is the stigma that surrounds mental illness. Three years ago, we took over mental health emergencies in Grady Hospital because we wanted to really try to demonstrate that we could improve the care that uh, people were getting when they showed up at Grady with the mental health emergency. And the state funded us to do that. We were able to demonstrate over the three year period that we could um, reduce waiting time by 80%, reduce the use of restraints by 70%, and not only that, but get people connected to continuity of services. So we have a lot of people now who are in primary care settings getting continuous mental health services who in the past would run to the emergency room, sometimes wait 14 hours, um, and, and a lot of times leave because the psychiatrist never showed up. That's no way to manage something as important as mental health. So I think we have a lot of opportunities to improve our system. And every time there is some sort of mass shooting or terrorism event, especially mass shooting in the U.S., mental health becomes a topic of discussion. And then it abates. Are the right steps being taken that it's taken from being just conversation to action to prevent that? Well, I don't think so. Um, when I was director of the CDC, we started funding research dealing with, with gun violence. And one of our studies showed that people who, who had guns in their homes to protect themselves were more likely to die from using that gun to commit suicide or to harm another family member when they were angry than they were, in fact, to protect themselves from somebody from the outside. Well, there were some people in Congress who didn't like that, so they took all of the money 
from the CDC budget that was used for gun violence research. And, uh, and even now, of course, uh, the CDC is not doing the kind of research that we need to do on gun violence prevention in this country. It's a major public health issue. And that's something we have to mention. I think a lot of people don't realize that. But essentially, r just repeat that or explain that, that the funding for gun violence research was pulled from the CDC. It was pulled in 1995. I was director from 93 to 98. And it has not yet been restored, even though the official position of President Obama and others is that it should be restored. Um, and uh, even the congressperson, Congressman Jay Dickey, from Arkansas, who introduced legislation to take the money away, is now pushing for it to be restored. You know, he uh, and Mark Rosenberg, who was director of our injury center at that time, recently wrote an article, an op-ed piece in the Washington Post saying that it's time to really restore money because we need research on how we can prevent gun violence. Soon after I became Surgeon General, you know, we had the Columbine shooting. And so I remember what that was like with the students. I, I think on that day, 15 people died. Um, two students, of course, did the shooting and they killed themselves. They killed 12 other students and one teacher. And uh, the American people were just up in arms. And so the only report I did as Surgeon General that was requested by both the President and the Congress was that Youth Violence Prevention Report. However, what usually happens after we have a mass shooting in this country, people up in arms and then six months later, we're going on about our business and not thinking about it. So they were not up in arms when the report came out. So Congress did not act on it. Really? What recommendations from that is still are, are consistent and valuable today that are still not being enacted? Well, I, I certainly think uh, uh, behavioral health mm -hmm. was a major issue that we should focus more on the behavioral health of children and the role of parents in that, that there were some great uh, examples uh, of studies that have been done showing that you could change violent behavior if you intervened early enough. So in communities where there was a lot of violence, this particular study showed that when there was involvement with the parents from the beginning and then with, with the children, you could reduce violence by 50%. There were several things like that in that report. It was not just about guns. It was about working with children, working with parents, and really helping people to communicate about issues that they often fight about. Okay. So it's identifying it early, giving them the resources and reducing the stigma to treat the mental health issues, and also probably being able to research. I mean, we research the impact of seatbelts and car accidents and everything else, but we, can, we have no data on the impact of gun violence. Exactly. We have some great examples and motor vehicle uh, crashes and deaths, probably one of the best examples of how using what we call a public health approach, we have been able to reduce deaths from motor vehicle injuries. Now, a public health approach has three questions. The first question is, what is the problem? Uh, and, and that includes what's the nature and magnitude of the problem, et cetera. The second question is, how can we intervene to prevent the problem? And a lot of research was done with motor vehicle crashes, for example. The third question is, uh, how can we implement the intervention so that, um, uh, that in fact we can reduce the problem? And then how, how do we get this into policy? Mm -hmm. So those are the four public health approach questions that the CDC especially has used 
to approach many problems in our society, whether they deal with sexuality or, or what have you, but have not, CDC has not been able to do that when it comes to gun violence. We have overly politicized gun violence. Mm -hmm. Are there any other steps as far as gun control that, you know, given your history with the CDC and Surgeon General, you would want to see? Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm especially concerned right now, and I talked about this in Chicago last week, about all of the killings, uh, not just mass shooting, but the kids who are killing each other every week. I mean, we, we have a, over 200 uh, homicides a week uh, in this country, in places like Chicago, on the streets of Atlanta. And, uh, and I really think that uh, we need to find a way to intervene. And I think to a certain extent, those are behavioral health problems. You know, if, if somebody devalues himself and his own life enough that he could take the lives of somebody else who lives next door to him or down the street, that's a behavioral health problem. Uh, I think it's a mental health problem, but behavior is a little broader. And I think we need to start dealing with those problems the same way we deal with similar problems. But we need a public health approach. But I, but I certainly think we ought to limit easy access to guns. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no reason that a kid out on the street ought to have access to an assault weapon, and uh, let alone having access to guns in general. But somehow these gangs on the streets of Chicago and other places find a way to get any kind of weapons they want, and we tolerate that as a society. It's time to learn more and maybe not be so tolerant of that. It's fascinating. And one of the things we hear a lot about, maybe a lot of our listeners have probably heard, when they talk about statistics of life expectancy in the United States, they talk about how we are lower than many other developed countries. But what I don't hear and often wonder is what is the impact of violence from, you know, as we've been talking about gunshot violence and fights, motor vehicle collisions, and our lifestyle. How does that impact? Well, it has a great impact. Uh, I think it's a combination of our behavior uh, as a nation, the fact that we are, I guess, now the only country in the world that does not assure access to health care for everybody. I mean, uh, most countries view access to health care as something that everybody should have and that we should invest in. Uh, and so there are major differences in terms of life expectancy. Some of those differences relate to the heterogeneity of our society, that we have the kind of heterogeneity where certain groups have a very low life expectancy compared to others who have a higher rate. But when I served on the WHO Commission on Social Determinants of Health, one of the things we pointed out, and it's beginning to come out now publicly, is that if you take a white man in this country who graduated from college, that person generally has a life expectancy that's five years less than a similar person in England. Now, I'm, I'm going to let you think about that for a while because we've been talking for years about the need to make sure that everybody has access to health care uh, and the fact that people who are poor and minority have lower life expectancies. But you know, it's, it's sort of what Booker T. Washington said, if you keep people down, it's hard to keep people down without getting in the ditch yourself. And I think our healthcare system, in a way, has been in the ditch, and we all suffer from that. And the most recent data, of course, uh, about life expectancy show that um, the people whose life expectancy are decreasing the most rapidly now are really uh, white males in this country. And why is that? Well, I think it has a lot to do with um, what I mentioned before about the failure to really emphasize comprehensive healthcare. 
and especially prevention. Mm -hmm. So we have more obesity, uh, we have more diabetes, of course, more cardiovascular disease. All of these things are really beginning to catch up with us as a country. And even though in the past we've focused on African Americans, American Indians, and others, and those are real areas of problems, Hispanics, it is now affecting the whole society. And so it always reminds me of uh, Booker T. Washington quote about if you try to hold other people down, you, you can't do it unless ultimately you get in the ditch yourself. Our healthcare system is in the ditch. Yeah, we need to get it out of the ditch. Yeah. And you were saying earlier about the ACA, about the difference between coverage versus access. Explain right. for our audience what you meant by that. Well, I think the Affordable Care Act has been very successful in reducing the uninsured in this country by over 10 million. There are, there are at least 10 million fewer people who are uninsured in this country than before the Affordable Care Act. The problem, of course, is being insured doesn't assure you have access to health care. You still have to have a provider who's willing to accept your insurance and to take care of you. Um, and we talk a lot about that in mental health. There's so few psychiatrists in this country, and most of them will not take any kind of insurance. So that's something we've got to work on in terms of access to care. So coverage is one thing, making sure that wherever people live, they have access to the providers that they need is our next major challenge. Okay. It, uh, you know, as you think of Dr. Murthy, the current Surgeon General, what is, if you could ask him one thing to take on of all these things we've discussed today, where would you like to see him move to improve on these? Well, uh, he announced three weeks ago that he's going to do the first ever Surgeon General's report on drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's appropriate. I think the role that drug addiction is playing in this country now in terms of, of, of health issues, but also in terms of violence, is just major. And the ease of access to drugs, or whether they are opioids or heroin, you know, or uh, oxycodone or mm -hmm. other kind of drugs that people get as prescriptions. And then in many cases, of course, they use them inappropriately. And of course, unfortunately, there are many doctors who write prescriptions for these drugs inappropriately. They're so easily accessible. They're very easily accept accessible. Heroin is cheaper than it used to be. So the access to these drugs are becoming a major problem for the country. And you're right. It, this all seems to tie together. Mental health, public safety, weapons control, terrorism are all issues that we need to, with health care, get it up out of the ditch. So, Dr. Satcher, thank you so much. This was a fascinating interview. We appreciate your time. To all of our listeners, what do you think needs to be done to improve all of our public safety here and abroad? Follow me and tweet me at Dr. Daria because I'd love to hear. Remember, if you missed any of our segments, you can download them at sharecare.com backslash RadioMD. This is Dr. Daria, and you're listening to ShareCare Radio on RadioMD. Thanks for listening, and stay well.